We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Alan Green now joining us, Senior Deputy Athletics Director at Ole Miss. As of a couple days ago, Alan, really appreciate the, the time on what's got to be a, a hectic holiday season for you. I'm just curious. I, I woke up this morning, and it was two degrees outside in Oxford with a minus 19 windshield. That's not something we are used to around here. <laughs> you were in Buffalo for a little while, though. How long did it take to get acclimated to those winters, and what's the coldest you've seen to this point? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Chase. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually just out getting gas and putting air in my tires because uh, with the colder temperatures, your tire pressure drops. And I was freezing outside. And um, the coldest I've been in, I don't know, probably minus 20 with the wind chill, um, which is pretty which is pretty cold. But I will tell you this, um, knowing that it's, it's the holiday season and Christmas is right around the corner, it's super nice to have some chilly weather. And clearly I'm, I got a sweater on and I'm, I'm yeah. inside the house. Which, I mean, you played baseball at Notre Dame. You probably got some pretty chilly Februarys and Marches even in college. They wasn't just Buffalo. I mean, you probably had to deal with a little weather all the way back. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I've actually played in snow. No doubt. I, 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 I could buy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, got a, I, I've got a buddy who played in northern Missouri in college, and he would kind of tell me the same thing. It's, hey, you don't quite get it. You know, we're down here where it's, hey, it changes, and you got some stuff. It gets canceled. They just play through that thing. It yeah, is what it fun, is. One, one of my one of my memorable experiences is we were playing uh, we were playing Boston College. So when I was playing uh, baseball at Notre Dame, uh, we were in the Big East, and uh, Boston College was as well. So we were out there in New England, and it was so cold that when we were hitting, we were allowed to go sit on the bus, wow. which was parked which was parked right outside the dugout. That's how wow. cold it was out there. You, you mentioned that, and I'm just kind of curious. You were recruited to Notre Dame by Brian O'Connor, Paul Maneri, the head coach there during your career. Do you, have you stayed in touch with those guys? And what's it sort of been like, you know, watching them both reach the pinnacle of their profession? Maneri wins a national title at OSU. O'Connor, obviously, at Virginia as well, as, as, as their careers have, have taken a lot of positive steps since then. Yeah, I, I have had the, the luxury and the opportunity of staying in touch with them, with them. They're great coaches. They're great people. And I was actually talking to – I talked to both of them last week 
uh, and it was prior to to all of this unfolding. And um, and I got a chance to see and spend some time with them during the College Road Series in Omaha. Uh, and and I also got a chance to watch the Rebs get hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's been it's been it's been great to uh, to know that the people who I was fortunate enough to be a part of their program have gone on to other places and have had such success where they have. And um, it's a it's a small fraternity, and um, I'm very fortunate to have those relationships. How'd you end up at Notre Dame? What was that recruiting process like back in the day? Yeah, it was interesting. So Notre Dame, I'm from Seattle, Washington originally. And so um, Notre Dame wasn't necessarily on my radar. Um, number number one, it was further away from home. And number two, I, I wasn't smart enough to, I didn't think I was smart enough to, to not just get in, but actually matriculate and earn a degree. But uh, Brian O'Connor uh, was friends with my summer league baseball coach. And it just so happened that uh, they were looking for somebody. Ryan Dempster, for, for those people who follow baseball closely uh, from several decades ago, uh, was a pitcher for the uh, for the Cubs. And he was also a top recruit for Notre Dame. And he decided to go pro, which opened up a scholarship for me. And, you know, timing is everything. Uh, better and a little bit of luck. And I, I was very fortunate enough, to, uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to be recruited by by uh, Oak Brian O'Connor, who's the head coach at Virginia uh, currently, and and Coach Paul Maneri, who most Ole Miss fans know uh, from his time at LSU. So I saw Ryan Dempster a couple years afterward, and was uh, made sure I thanked him for uh, the opportunity. You played a few years in the minor leagues. You got drafted by the Yankees in the ninth round. Um, what is that played out? What's it like transitioning out of that when you've done that your whole life and you've been a baseball player and knowing that, you know, it's time to find a job that's not baseball or however that sort of played out there at the end? What does that what does that look like for you? Well, my father just said, don't do anything stupid. Uh, it's, a, it's a life transition. Right. And it's a that opportunity um, and that experience helped prepare me for. The, my most recent experience over the last several several months of transitioning from from Auburn, and you you have to really kind of just take a step back, take inventory of who you are, what's what's of value to you, um, and then what fulfills you moving forward. And it was really you know I thought I was going to go into investment banking, um, that was my, my plan out of out of college. Um, it was my plan then when I got done playing uh, minor league baseball, and then just through some reflection. And trying to figure out what I wanted to do, it became very apparent to me that uh, working in college athletics and having an impact on on young people uh, is something that was in, deeply rewarding, and I, I I don't shy away from that, and that's what keeps uh, me driving to this day. Were there influences on kind of getting that first job? I mean, how how did you sort of get from that to? I mean, you obviously start right there at Notre Dame compliance and whatnot. But what is that? What does that look like? How how do you actually get into that profession once you decide that that's something <laughs> yeah. you want to do? I guess fortunately, being a baseball player, you, you you fail more than you succeed, and that was kind of that was the same formula for my entrance into college athletics. I I was living in South Bend. Uh, my wife and I were not married yet, but we were dating. And I applied for two, maybe three jobs at Notre Dame and didn't get any of those. And finally, um, I got uh, my foot in the door in compliance. So I was a career 250 hitter. Uh, I was batting 250 for employment opportunities as well. And um, again, like you get your foot in the door and then you, you do all you can to try to make an impact. And um, uh, 
resiliency, right, is part of it because you get told no. And the the more what baseball has taught me is you you have to you have to pick yourself back up after you fail. So whether you strike out or whether you line out, it's still an out in the record books, and you have to come back around the next at bat and uh, and have just as much confidence, if not more, than you did before. And I've 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 had experiences like that through baseball uh, carry me through my professional and personal career. It's your second tour at Ole Miss. You were here from 2009 to 2012. Um, and I, what, I, what strikes me about that time at Ole Miss is that you were here, Danny was here, Keith was here, Hartwell was here during that time, all under Pete. And then when you were at Notre Dame, I mean, you were talking about Bubby, Bubba Cunningham, Sandy Barber, all these different people who get to the pinnacle of the profession from an athletic director standpoint. As you were there at Notre Dame and then at Ole Miss as well, do you notice – you know, talent and take things from those people? I mean, are you able to, in in the moment, you know, realize some of the, the coworkers and staff that you have surrounding you that you're you're teaching them and you're learning from them as well? I think th- those who are, are able to get the most out of any relationship recognizes that there are people who you surround yourself uh, who have attributes that, that you may not have. Um, and those who are really good are able to take some of those attributes that they've learned from other people and apply them to their daily lives, their daily habits. And I've I've stolen like I'm I ought to be in jail for for all the fever we have done. Uh, but I've learned from so many great uh, administrators in this field and leaders. And I think also one unique thing in our roles as fundraisers and as those who are external, you get a chance to meet leaders uh, in in all in all industries and CEOs. Uh, and understanding and getting a chance to get to know those folks and how they lead from a, a different enterprise is really enlightening. Uh, but it also demonstrates that there's a lot of overlap in leaderships and those who are successful leaders. There's lots of different styles, but there's there's usually some core things at play. And typically, how you treat people is really important. Uh, be, be a person of your word. If you say you're going to do something, then, then do it. Um, have some humility. Um, have some fun, uh, take your job very seriously and your responsibilities, but not yourself. And, and really just em- embrace uh, the experiences that one would call failures in particular, right? You, that people call it failing forward, but really learn and grow from, from every opportunity, whether it's considered a success or a failure. And that's why I've, I've, I've stolen pages out of, out of anybody's book who, who will possibly let me. Do you feel like your leadership styles have evolved over time as you've grown and moved through experiences and different things? Yeah, I think it has to. I think that, that you know, to use a, a phrase, right, you have a toolbox and in that box, you, you've got things for, for different situations. I think the best leaders adapt to environments and, and use different tools when, when, they're, when they're most needed. And <clears throat> I would say that given over the course of my career, um, each stop has required something different of me. And I hope that I've been able to demonstrate that I've been able to access a different aspect of my toolbox uh, to be able to try to provide an environment that allows people to be successful. One of the compliments you can give a place is coming back to it. I mean, now at Ole Miss for a, for a second term, um, I guess you were here and, and I know you and Keith are close, your families are close, but you were here Alabama weekend, I guess. And I had, uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't know it at the time and I had called Keith and I guess some of the old Miss Auburn stuff was going on or whatever with Kiffin. And maybe that was like right at the beginning. And I sent him a text and I said, Hey, 
I'm not going to ask you anything about that. You got two minutes and they called and I said, Hey, Alan Green. And he laughed. He goes, nobody saw him. He was sitting right next to me. He's like, what, 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 what happened? And I said, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just like, whatever. But um, when did this sort of come to shape? I mean, when did you sort of consider this from the first opportunity and maybe conversation with Keith? And then what is it about Ole Miss and Oxford that was a place you wanted to bring your family back? Yeah, well, I'd say a couple of things. When I when I stepped down from Auburn, it was an opportunity for me to reflect, and I had the the luxury of visiting several campuses um, during the time during football season. Uh, campuses either I had never been to or had never seen a football game, and Ole Miss was a place that you know is so fond and, and near and dear to our hearts. Uh, my you know I've got friends still there. My wife does. Um, two of my three kids do. Uh, and my youngest daughter was was born in Oxford. So there's a there's a lot of connections. And, you know, as as I began to figure out what I wanted to do with my future, Keith was also trying to figure out what the shape of the department ought to look ought to look like and what kind of skill set he needed to fill this role. And I would honestly say that that based on what he was looking for and based on, I guess, what I would what I can provide, if you will, and my experiences in the league and as a, as a, a former athletic director um, and as someone who's familiar with, with Ole Miss and has a lot of personal relationships with people there, both in the department and outside of the department, it just kind of seemed to make sense uh, that, that, we, that we work together again. And so I'm really looking forward to being of service to him, um, helping him manage all this new craziness that's, that's in our world of college athletics, helping the staff, uh, continue to grow and evolve um, and be at the forefront of, of this new frontier that we're, we're facing. Um, help football continue to be and help Lane continue to be successful. Um, and in all that process, I, I know I'm going to learn a few things as well. So I'm really excited about, about getting back and, and getting rolling. I, I mentioned this to you on the phone before we started the Zoom. Something I was curious about, as you said, you had some time to reflect after the, after the Auburn tenure and it's the first time in your professional life that you could sort of take a breath. I mean, you're not just every day doing things. What what sort of did make up your days? I mean, how do you sort of go about that? And what's it been like these last few months? Yeah, it has been refreshing and invigorating. Um, I, you know, my daily routine by and large was uh, take my youngest daughter to school and <laughs> have some pretty interesting conversations on, on that drive. Um, I would often, as much as I could, um, actually go to lunch and have lunch with her at school. Uh, which this will be the last year I get a chance to do that. Uh, try to work out. Sometimes I'd go with my wife. Um, she's a little bit more robust in her workouts than I am. I have the executive workout where she likes to sweat a lot. Mm -hmm. So we do that. Um, try to grab some lunch, um, jump on the phone and talk to people in the industry. Um, just make sure I was staying connected. Um, but I also tried to disconnect at the same time. And I, and I know I'm yeah. speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But there were times where I just put my phone away and didn't check it all day. And I didn't want to. Didn't jump on social media, didn't check email, didn't check texts. Um, just tried to escape a little bit. And um, got a chance to play a little golf. My handicap was supposed to get better. It didn't. Um, and at the end of the day, just be home uh, in the evenings, have dinner with the family. And um, kind of just just in, in, enjoy not having to, to deal with all the chaos. And I think in in enjoying not being a part of the madness of that we're in right now, I actually missed it. Um, I missed the student athlete engagement. Um, I missed trying to solve some really complex problems or at least help solve them. 
And so I think this is a, that's why I just think that the, the fit is, is really great right now uh, to come back to Ole Miss. It's not that your handicap got worse, Alan. It's that you started playing enough to care. Before that, you didn't get a lot of rounds in. You didn't care. It's like, hey, I'm doing the best I can. But yeah. the competitive yeah. juice started coming back out once you could play a little bit. That's what I, <laughs> that, 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 that's what happened. I, I, I think because, look, I struggle with this. I mean, even on vacations, I'm wanting to check my phone. I just I have a terrible time of disconnecting and putting it away. But you do think when you fully can do it, you think it does enhance creativity and mindset and those things when you come back to it, that there is an invigoration to that. There's, there's no question. And, and I, you know, having gone through this experience and this reflection, I feel like I'm a better leader now because I'm not going to allow myself to get run down to the point where I'm less effective. And I, I think in our, in American society, we, we work way too much in my opinion. And I'm, I'm speaking from personal um, personal experiences to the point where we feel guilty taking a break and shutting it off. And if you if you think about how hard it is for you, Chase, to go on vacation and try to power down, imagine what your colleagues are going through if they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've really tried to be respectful. Um, it's been a priority of mine of being respectful for people when they're taking time away they're going to be better for it when they come back. They'll be happier. They'll be more engaged. They'll be ready to get after it. And honestly, the world's not going to stop just because someone is taking a vacation. Um, Again, my my father gives me lots of isms and quotes, and he's like, one monkey doesn't stop the show. And so if one person's (laughs) gone for a week or a month, the show's going to continue. So don't don't worry about all the work that you're going to miss. If, If you have a really great team around you, they're going to want you to enjoy your vacation because they're going to want to enjoy their vacation when they leave. And no different than a baseball, you know, I use baseball analogies a lot because I'm, I'm just my background. Mm-hmm. You want, so you want to know someone's going to pick you up uh, if, if, w- w- when you need it. And that's just the expectation um, of, of the team. And so that it's really important to have a team around you that allows you to vacation and takes, take it some time away. And um, it's also important that, that you take some time for yourself as well and really try to find some ways to disconnect. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This was, as you're talking, what I'm kind of gathering, too, is it was right opportunity as much as getting back in right now. I mean, you you sort of had the ability to, you know, if something took a few more months or if you were out a little longer, you were you, you were able to be patient for opportunities more than so. Hey, there's a timeline and a deadline and I need to jump back into athletic administration at this point. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's, it's really important for me and I, I hope it's important for others that the right opportunities um, is better than the timing. And sometimes you need to be in the right time in the right window to be able to take advantage of something. And the timing worked out really well, but also, like I said before, what Keith and what I felt, what Keith articulated to me that he needed is right in my wheelhouse. And uh, as I've told some other people where I've had opportunities if, if I can't provide what it is that you and the organization need, then it's it's not going to work. And I don't want to put a, a square peg in a round hole. And um, I, I share that same thing with recruits. Like, don't come to, you know, a certain institution if you don't feel comfortable because you're going to want to go. And we're seeing more and more of that um, as uh, as the days unfold. What, how would you describe that? I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but you mentioned helping Lane and the COO of football, some of those different responsibilities. What is what is sort of your your general purpose or your your, your goals in that role? Yeah, I mean, p- part of and I, I've developed this uh, through through my leadership over the years. But there's a saying that that I have, and um, I'm sure I borrowed it from somebody. But it's care more about the success of others than your own. And for me. Personally, I get so much enjoyment by seeing other people succeed. And if you're truly invested in helping other people be successful, those around you, you have no choice but to be successful yourself. And it's just a different way. Uh, it's, it's In many ways, it's a paradigm shift of really being a servant and sacrificing some of yourself for the betterment of someone else knowing that it'll get returned to you tenfold at some point in time. So you, you have to appreciate delayed gratification uh, because with that strategy, you're not living in the moment, but you're, you're living, you're, you're running a marathon and not a race. And it's, it's been something that I've learned I need to survive. I need to thrive. If I go out and, and I try to be the guy who does it myself, that's not a recipe for me. For some it works, but for me it doesn't. I would much rather see the people around me be successful. Um, and I'd much rather kind of just stand in the tunnel and watch the confetti fall than be out there and, and feel like I have to be a part of it. There's never been a more complicated time in college athletics. You alluded to it with portal and NIL and everything going on right now. And I guess Lane even mentioned it Wednesday during his his press conference after signing day was it's the most player friendly the system has ever been right now. And you've got all the over the table, behind the scenes, conjecture, everything going on with especially football, but really across the sports at the moment. Where do you sort of see college sports right now? And do you feel like whatever this looks like, and 
you know, forever it was more institution friendly, those things versus player friendly. Now, do you feel like we are due a course correction at some point, or at least somewhere coming back toward a middle ground? Mm. It's a great question. Uh, it's a topic that I, I tend to jump on a soapbox. So I'll, I'll try to condense my thoughts here. Okay. It's really hard to predict where this is going to end up. And I think the only thing that we know for certain that it, the only thing that we know for certain is it's going to look different in six months and a year than it does now. No different than it looks different now than it did six months, a year, two years ago. So we, we have to be prepared for this thing to continue to evolve. And it's not just the decision-making of, of an athletic director or a coach or a student athlete or a campus president or even the president of the national office, but attorneys are involved. Um, you know, litigation is a part of that, a part of our, our world now. Uh, being um, engaged in Washington, D.C. with Congress is a part of our world now. That was not the case three years ago, four years sure. ago. Right? So things have drastically changed over the, the, the last three years. And the, what's required of athletics directors is very different than what was required. And I, I will honestly tell you three years ago, um, the, the top five topics on an athletic director's radar did not exist three years ago. And it's hard to continue to manage what people would perceive as what an athletic director is supposed to do versus what is actually on the plate of a leader in, in this space. Same with university presidents. So thinking about how to manage those things, you have got to have alignment in your organization and you've got to have people who, who recognize and who are comfortable with change and not just change, but comfortable with uncertainty. And that's a really hard thing for humans. Uh, we like to know certainty, but we don't have it and we're not gonna have it. The one thing I hope that we're able to do, we meaning our industry of college athletics, I hope that we're able to um, take a leadership role in what the future of college athletics looks like. And there are risks associated with any move that, that is made, but there's gonna be moves made. And I'd, I'd rather us as industry practitioners be the ones at the forefront than, than let it be dictated toward us. Don't know how possible, how reasonable that is, uh, but maybe it's just, you know, as I've had a chance to sit on the sidelines, it's kind of my utopian world. What's the key in that kind of flexibility for an athletic administrator to any level to to, to handle what's today, knowing that tomorrow is going to be different? Because you're right. I mean, six months ago, it looked completely different. I mean, the portal a year ago is completely different than the portal today. Even with Olympic sports and IL starting to factor in in some different mm -hmm. ways a lot more. I mean, what do you kind of have to tell yourself to have that level of day-to-day -day flexibility that's required? Yeah, I mean, ma many of us try to see around the corner and it's it's hard when that view is obscured and and no one's they're not quite sure where the corners begins, where it ends and and what kind of radius you have to work with. COVID helped us, in my opinion, helped us navigate an uncertain environment. And if you can apply some of the uh, methodologies used to used to get through COVID, you, you apply those same things to the situation that we're in now. And making sure that, again, I think it's just a, it's a part of a sophistication, a maturity, um, an understanding and a comfort level that we're in an environment that is ever changing. That word gets thrown around an awful lot, uh, but it's true. And in recognizing that you just gotta be comfortable with the uncomfortable and know that you can make a decision today, but tomorrow you may have to change that decision and that's okay. 
And that perhaps wasn't the case before, but information and dynamics and circumstances are changing and uh, so rapidly that you have to be nimble. And I, I know you've heard lots of people say that. Fans have heard lots of people say that, but it is it's never been more true and more necessary than than where we are in today's environment. Pardon the niche question, but you mentioned the baseball angle. And I'm just curious. You were at an athletic department where the eleven of the eleven point seven was pretty rigid with, with Auburn. Butch Thompson's done a nice job getting around that with a couple of college World series appearances in the last few years. It's hit Ole Miss despite their uh, their success this season, win the national title. A lot of industry stuff about that potentially changing, mentioning player-friendly things. Do you think we're on the precipice of a more unlimited scholarship situation in baseball? <laughs> it depends on who's driving the train. Okay. Right? If, if it's Power 5 schools who where, where baseball is a priority, um, and if, if the Power 5 schools, by and large, have more autonomy to, to manage their resources the way that they want, there's a possibility there. Um, I think part of this circumstance that we collectively as an industry are in is we're, we're, we're connecting power five with group of five with um, division two and division three and the opportunities uh, for student athlete um, experience are very different um, at the end of those spectrums. And, as you move from the division three model to the power five model, there's, there's different challenges as well. And I would say that the reaction to the reaction to change in college athletics in a very similar way that the resistance to change in college athletics really is surrounded at the power five level. And in order for there to be more significant change um, at the most visible, I guess, aspect of, of our enterprise, then there needs to be, in my opinion, more autonomy at the power five level to, to do things like that, whether it's scholarship, whether it's travel, whether it's a compensation model. Um, there's so many things that, that are, that power five is driving in football and in men's basketball in particular, but football, of course, that are having a trickle down effect to other aspects of the enterprise that uh, where dynamics are not even close to being the same. So we need to un, we need to unbundle somehow and still live in some sort of harmony to allow for the unique nature of the aspect of certain sports than others. Do you think there's a push to that? I mean, are we at all close to that being the the, the reality? Um, I I think there's too many things in the system to try to manage right now to be able to focus on scholarships for baseball, right? Because, yeah. and again, this is me being, I'm a, baseball has helped shape who I am and, and so I'm forever indebted to the game. But baseball is not driving college athletics, football sure. is. And so yeah, the football sure. piece, I don't say needs to get fixed, but needs to be addressed and settled, in my opinion, before people turn their attention to more scholarships in baseball. Yeah, because it took two years to even kind of get the, the you know, it, it took two years to even get the third coach full time kind of pushed through the, the committees right. and things along those lines. Yeah, it was not, I mean, as I mentioned, when you were here a few weeks ago, or I guess nine months ago for Alabama, November 12th, and you were just visiting different things throughout the year. I know the, the, the job wasn't the forefront or even a thing there. I don't want to misrepresent people. Sure. But at the same time, did you 
think about seeing yourself back? I mean, when your wife's with you, I mean, are you around town? I mean, does that go through your mind when, during a, rev, a visit that recent to get the job? I mean, what was what was sort of your mentality that weekend? Well, I, I went to Scott Martin, grabbed breakfast Saturday morning before yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I drove past our old house and um, uh, and just visited some some sites around town that um, that I hadn't seen in quite some time. Uh, it, being on campus reminded me that I hadn't been on campus for 10 years. When we, when Auburn came to Ole Miss to play in football, um, I stayed out in, uh, in Tupelo with the team and we bust in and bust out. So I didn't get a chance to see campus or drive around town or anything. So this was a good opportunity on a quiet morning just to go visit. And yeah, no, knowing that there was an opportunity there, um, there some nostalgia did, did enter into into myself into my mind. Uh, I drove past Willie Price on campus, which is the mm-hmm. early ed place where my my kids, one of my children, uh, spent some time, and um, it was just it was cool to be back and just explore. And it it helped give me a comfort level of going back there if if that's um, if that opportunity presented itself, and and in time it did. And like I said, we're just we're happy to be back. Yeah, your family knows the score. You mentioned that you moved around a little bit, but your 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 oldest two, especially, I mean, they would have a little bit of memories of Oxford, right? Yes. So the older two um, still have friends there. In fact, when we were when we came back to visit, <clears throat> one of my my oldest, my senior, uh, one of her friends works at one of the stores in the square, and so we stopped off Friday uh, afternoon just to see her, and then she sent me a text uh, the other day when the news broke, just talking about how excited she was for us to come back. And um, that just, that meant a lot. And I think it's it's those relationships um, that we have at Ole Miss that really just make my heart smile. Um, and it makes my family's heart smile uh, because the, it's humbling. Um, the appreciation is is just so cool. And um, oh, it just makes, makes me smile. Well, I appreciate the time. Again, I know you've got a ton of stuff going on right now, but uh, I really do thank you for it. And let's uh, let's get together when you get here. Good luck with all the uh, the travel and the moving and everything going up through the holiday season. Chase, thanks so much. I appreciate the time and thanks for reaching out. Hotty toddy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.